Welcome to the Yours in Marketing podcast. Hey, it's Blake here. If this is the first time that you're joining us on the Yours in Marketing podcast, do me a favor. Please go wherever you get your podcast, doesn't matter where, and please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast right now. Well, or after the episode, whichever works for you. We're really looking for your support so that we can build this and make it even more valuable for you. So please rate, review, and subscribe the Yours in Marketing podcast. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. This week on Yours in Marketing, I speak with Sangram Vajray, one of the masterminds behind the account-based marketing movement that is quickly sweeping the marketing sphere. Sangram is the co-founder and chief evangelist of Terminus. He's a passionate marketing geek at heart, and he loves to solve problems, whether it's analytical or creative. But here's what you're going to learn in this episode. First off, what on earth is account-based marketing, or ABM as it's called, and why is it beneficial? Second, you're going to learn what it's like for an immigrant to build a successful brand in another country. And finally, how to build a community around your business. Sangram is a natural at talking about marketing, so you're going to want to stick around for the whole episode to absorb his wisdom. Let's get into the interview. Cool. All right. So today on the show, I have Sangram Vajray. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know who Sangram is, first of all, you should know and you should follow him on LinkedIn. He's a great follow, but he works at a company called Terminus. He is the chief evangelist. He's also the co-founder. They do account-based marketing. And then you're also the host of the Flip My Funnel podcast. So we'll talk about all of that. But first and foremost, I'd love to just introduce yourself. Tell us maybe a a weird fact about yourself. Give us an idea of what your personality is, what you love to do in your spare time. And then if you want, you can also talk about your work. All right. All right. So uh, I have been, I feel like I've been very fortunate for for the most of my life. I feel like I immigrated to the United States in 2002. And since then, I, I remember this is like me coming from India for the first time to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. <laughs> That's is, right. You went to UA, you went to the University of Alabama. Yeah. But before like, they were good at football. They were like at that yeah. time they weren't very good, right? <laughs> that that was a religion over there. <laughs> and you can imagine, right, you know, like that's not what I thought America to be all about. And I remember walking into this uh, chemistry department to just see if I can get get assistantship and stuff because I wanted to figure out to pay for the school and all that. And I remember this elderly woman saying to me something and, and we ended up laughing and that that's where you would hear the rest of my story. But she <laughs> said, well, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box in a real Southern tone. I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box. And I started to look for pencils and boxes everywhere. Like I don't <laughs> find pencils, I don't find any boxes. And I remember my friend later on when I told them the story, they said, you know what, here's what you need to do. And this is 2002. They gave me VHS file, the thing, if people know, I'm, I'm dating myself, but yeah. they gave me VHS uh, thing to, to watch. Everybody Loves Raymond, Seinfeld, <laughs> and Friends, and said, watch this and you will know everything you need to know about America. And well, I'm Hold on, now, before we get keep going, I want you to rank those three from best to worst. So what's your number one show out of those three? Oh, man, I definitely love Friends. I feel like that style of life of like, you know, just like, just crazy. <laughs> I'll never forget the Soup Nazi episode from Seinfeld, yeah. ever. Yeah. Uh, and, was, and I bench-watched. Like, I think bench-watching wasn't, wasn't a thing until, like, I bench-watched that whole, like, a whole stack of, yeah. like, you know, not even DVDs, VHS files that couple of days, and I, I was good. I was good to go. <laughs> 
All right, continue. I'm sorry. I just had to know your rankings there. <laughs> no, no it, it, it's a lot of fun. So, but it just proved. And then uh, I have a wife uh, and two kids, uh, Christian, Kiara, eight-year-old son, four-year-old daughter. Uh, we actually started Terminus when my daughter was one month old, which was like not the best time to start a yeah. startup uh, if everybody's <laughs> looking to figure out. And my wife didn't work because prior to that, mm-hmm. I was running marketing at Pardot and we went through mm-hmm. the whole acquisition of Salesforce and all of that. So we, I was at Salesforce. So she quit and, you know, we were doing all right and we had our second kid and we wanted to focus on that. And then this was like our conversation saying, all right, I think I want to do this thing called Terminus with two people that I've never met before until last night. And I think we're going to go do this thing where we try to go build a category that nobody has actually talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. And that just means I'm not going to make any money. So you need to go to get a get a job so we could feed our kids and, you know, keep things going. And I'm going to go sleep on the couch. And that was pretty much my my conversation for that night. <laughs> Long story short, like, you know, she's still working. I'm still working and we're doing and, and making things happen. So we're, again, really blessed to have all the opportunities that that we have today. So how far into Terminus are you? Uh, we're about, what, four and a half years into it. We went from three co-founders to now about 200 people based here in Atlanta and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, it's, it has been an incredibly amazing ride. Atlanta is a great city. I live in Texas. I've lived in Florida as well. So, basically, anytime we, I take a plane anywhere, you have to go through Atlanta. So, I've become pretty familiar with it. It's a really underrated city. Oh, it is. Don't judge Atlanta. Don't judge us on the airport condition right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty cool. Well, talk a little bit about the tech scene in Atlanta right now. Like, How does that compare to other places in the country? Because there are these little pockets that are, that are coming up. First, it was Silicon Valley. But now, like Utah has a ton of tech companies. Austin, Texas has a ton of tech companies. Talk about Atlanta. What's the scene there right now? Well, I mean, I think uh, so. David Cummings, who was the CEO of Pardot, when he sold Pardot, he made a lot of money because he didn't raise money. So he made a, like it's so really smart. Mm. And what he did, which is defining for the entire city, so I'm so grateful for what he has done. He went and bought a building called Atlanta Tech Village, and I I believe it's one of the top ten incubators in United States now. There's like 400 startups there, and, and there's a laundry list of uh, companies who want to come and do it. And so we, we started there. We just had a desk and a table, which me and my co-founders used alternatively because we couldn't afford to have three desks uh, because we didn't have any money at that time. So that's where we started. And, and I think what he has done to kind of get this scene out there, bringing investors, there's a big Atlanta Ventures that happens every year. Um, huge companies come in and huge investors come in. So I think there's still a lot of pouring of knowledge and industry expertise, but it's still not there. I would still say from a VC perspective, I think a lot of people still pass up on Atlanta because they don't feel they can necessarily get the right kind of talent or they cannot actually help people. Because, you know, most VCs, when they put money, they want to be there. They want to essentially tell you who to hire and who not mm-hmm. to hire or bring other people and all that stuff. And if you're in Silicon Valley, you have all these connections there who are not going to move down to Atlanta and vice versa. So they feel like for the amount of time and money for them to fly down over here, be part of this thing and the lack of way of them to help. I think a lot of investors are not betting on as much as I would have liked to by now. Is is Terminus bootstrapped or do you actually have funding behind you? Uh, we, we ended up raising uh, two rounds. Uh, we raised, I think, about $22 million in the last um, 
four years or so for Arctic Growth. So very nice. What what was that process like? At what how did you make the decision that you were you were going to need to get funding, and then what were the steps that you took to to get to that point? Well, I mean, so I'm a rookie at like this is not like I've done four startups and stuff. Like I'll be 40 this year, and and I would say that if anybody listening right now thinks that hey they're too old, they're never too old to do a startup. So let's just you actually might be in better position because you know more about leadership and management of a lot of those things, which are mm-hmm. super critical as you grow. So, so that's just, just a tangent there and an important lesson for me to learn is that you're never too old to do something. It's never, and it's never going to be a better time feels like than it is right now. All that being said, I feel like we realized very early on that we're building a completely brand new category. ABM itself didn't exist. Uh, we wrote the first book on account-based marketing. We launched in 2015. In 2016, we wrote the very first book on account-based marketing to help establish the category. Until very recently, I would say a year ago or so, ABM wasn't a really, it was just a buzzword or something like that, but now it's like a real thing. There's conferences happening that are fully focused on on that. The whole podcast that you talked about, Flip My Funnel, the conference we do in Boston, there are over a thousand people attend that conference now in Boston. So overall, it has became a thing. And then what we realized is that, well, who are all the category leaders? There are 8,000 companies in B2B right now trying to sell to CMOs and CEOs, but who are the category leaders? And the reality is there are not that many. Salesforce, you know, you think about Drift in their conversation, Salesforce for the SaaS CRM, you think about Drift for the conversational marketing, you think about HubSpot in the inbound category. And Maybe one more, one or two more, or maybe gain side in, in the customer success category. All the other folks are like trying to just tag along with a lot of the other things, right? And it's hard, extremely hard. And if you think about what all of them have common, which has been our catchphrase here, is that they all have built communities. And that has what helped us keep them going. So if you think about Salesforce, build Dreamforce. Uh, you think about Drift, build Hypergrowth. You think about HubSpot built inbound. You think about Terminus building Flip My Phone. I think at the end of the day, you start looking at all of that and saying, oh my goodness, without a community, we're simply a commodity. Anybody can come in and sway and and come up with the feature functionality that we do. And, uh, you know, yeah, we we feel we do great, but technological barriers are very little right now. Anybody can jump into it. So the question is, are we building a clear problem and a community that we can surround ourselves with. And that becomes the moat for the business. And to do that, we obviously had to raise our profile, uh, build more partnerships, create more integrations, have a bigger vision around the platform and building all that stuff takes money. So that really became our thing is like, hey, look, we can slow grow this thing or we can just go jump in. We this is we have been blessed with the opportunity to create a category. We have a point of view, very clear. We have the backbone and the pedigree to do this. Let's just go do and let's just go big. And that's kind of how we thought about it. Well, you talked about the community side of things. So I think there are a lot of businesses owner business owners out there that they you know they have a good product, they have loyal customers, but then they think to themselves, if I'm going to build a community, how do I do that around something that's not inherently the most interesting topic? Because especially in marketing, most other people think that marketing is not very interesting or mostly anything in business in general, most people don't find it inherently interesting. So how do you build a community when you don't know if people are actually going to be genuinely invested or interested in it? Well, you know, I don't think the reason community building fails 
in my opinion, is that they we all try to build a community around your product. And that's not how you actually build a community. Communities are built around a common problem, which is why I hate the phrase product market fit. I, I think mm. it's absolutely BS. Product market fit is, is almost being like glorified as like, oh, you have to have, that means you need to have 10, 15 customers buying. I get it that you obviously need customers, but really the main or probably the more important part that people miss is problem market fit. Are you working on big enough problem and is there enough big of a market? And I look at Salesforce trying to do Dreamforce. What they were really trying to do was, is there a big enough market out there for them to build products and services? And every year the community grew, which means the market grew, and they were able to add different products to support the community. That's what we've been doing with Flip My Funnel. We have, we're learning from the community what is it they actually want and creating products and services to support that. So I think because we're so focused on the problem, not the product, it's okay for us to pivot on the product. It's okay for us to change different things. That's the reason we acquired a company, Bright Funnel, a year and a half ago to recognize that, oh my goodness, there's no other company that is able to do account-based analytics. All the mm-hmm. analytics companies are all lead-based or contact-based. And there's nothing. So we ended up acquiring so we could retrofit this idea of ABM into this in the existing model. So all that to say is that we all need to really, really get and fall in love with the problem, not the product. Okay, well, I'm going to put you on the spot then, because I'm sure that probably 99% of the time that you're interviewed, people will ask you, so explain ABM to me. Like, what is account-based marketing? I'm not going to ask you to do that. Instead, I want you to tell me what is the problem that ABM is solving? What's the problem behind it? Well, great. Like, Forrester came out with the research in 2015, 2016 timeframe that said less than 1% of the leads that marketing and sales are creating turn into customer. To flip it around, 99% of the marketing and salespeople, whoever is listening, if you're marketing and sales, the reality is 99% of what you're generating, according to this study, is not driving revenue. That should get you fired if you really go back to your CFO and CEO tell that, right? So the, why is that reason? The reason is because those leads don't believe necessarily align with the accounts your sales team is closing. Furthermore, the title of the salespeople is an account executive not a lead executive. And that's why the disconnect exists. The leads that you give to sales, if it's not in the right account, they're not they're ignoring, which is why the percentage has dropped to 1% or less. That's the problem is marketing and sales are still talking two different languages. And it's about time for marketers to recognize that they need to focus on the accounts that your sales team are going to work on, close on. And that's why it's called account-based marketing mm-hmm. because marketing needs to get on the bandwagon of, of focusing on the accounts and not sales. Sales already are working on the accounts. Got it. Okay, so explain to me like like I'm a five-year-old, okay? Just as simple as you possibly can. You're that's... older than five? That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> but what's the solution? So not necessarily what ABM actually is, but just how Terminus is actually the solution to that problem. Well, I mean... To, to us, we kind of put this framework called the team framework, target, engage, activate, measure, T-E-A-M, target, engage, activate, measure. And it really pulls out the marketing and sales. I think it's no longer about what marketing is delivering. Most organization right now, as we speak, are probably fighting on who gets the credit for the deal that gets closed. And that's the wrong fight to have. We should be fighting over how do we engage, how do we find the right things to do, and that's the bigger thing. That's the bigger mess. So we we said let's just take marketing and sales off and talk about team. 
because that's really what we, it's a team sport, marketing and sales, work on the same team, figure out who you want to target better, figure out the folks that the companies that you want to target, how are you going to engage better? Then how are you going to activate your sales team better? And then how are you going to measure success? And that's the flow of it. And that's what Terminus really helps you do is you as, you, as soon as you join, like start with Terminus or something, it will ask you how many accounts and which accounts you want to go after. Great. Well, how do you want to engage them? Advertising, direct mail, whatever. And we'll work on that. And then we'll activate alerts to the sales team whenever any engagement happens in the accounts that salespeople care about. Not any random, but in the account and analytics around that. So it's very simply the team framework. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift gears just a touch. Still on the same subject here, but uh, you're four and a half years in now yeah. to Terminus. Have you noticed that people have started to copy you? No. Well, like in what way? Like, are there are there businesses that are just doing the same thing as you now? Are are these businesses popping up all over the place, trying to do what you do? Like ABM wise, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, all over the place. Like even at Serious Decisions two weeks ago, every single booth said they do ABM right now, which is <laughs> really really interesting to, to even <laughs> have a conversation. Yes. Okay, so how do you deal with that though? Like as a co-founder as an evangelist for the brand and also just, you know, your the other members of your team, how do you deal with it when you start seeing people trying to steal share of the market away from you? I have a completely different view on that. I think it's good because there's no category of one. It doesn't exist. That's true. Right? <laughs> so even with the Flip My Funnel, the reason the Flip My Funnel and the whole community thing kind of makes sense is because at our conferences, we invite our competitors to come and speak on the stage. And the reason we do that is because that makes it an industry conference, not a user conference. Mm. That brings media because media is interested to figure out what happens. That brings analysts to the conference because they want to hear at one place, all of these things are there. Oh, great. I'm going to go there and learn more about that stuff. So it brings the right kind of partners, customers, future customers, competitors, media, analysts, all these people together in one place, in one through one. And then you get to set the narrative for the marketplace. So in a way, I think if you don't build a community, you know, you're going to be just being out there talking about what your product does and about the problem you solve by yourself to the same 10 people that you know, which you could have just texted them and told them that as opposed to building this level of like bringing them in actually allows you to create a bigger market. The market is so big. And the best companies in the end of the day are going to win. But if you looked at any category, it's never won. So you need four or five or seven different companies to emerge out of it. Some will create a ton of noise and just whistle away. Some will actually stay there and some will have a point of view and keep going. And we believe that we are we have a point of view and we're going to keep mm -hmm. going given how far and how we think about that stuff. But I love that companies coming. What I hate is that they are not clear about what EBM is, or they don't know, they're just jumping on the bandwagon. So I think some of them will just fall off in the next six to eight months, and then it will emerge, it will come down to three or four main companies, and that's awesome. Well, how, how do you make sure that Terminus is one of those main companies that stays around forever? Even though you kind of started the category, doesn't necessarily guarantee that you'll be the oh. number one forever. So what are you doing proactively to make sure that you are gonna be there for the, for the foreseeable future? Well, I mean, that's like an eight ball question. Like, I don't know the future, uh, as <laughs> but I think what we're doing is overall just trying to be staying true to the problem. And we still keep talking about the problem very clearly. We still do the same big things like the conference and we haven't still changed the conference. We never have made it about Terminus. It is still about the community. 
I think we have been, been trying to be as transparent, as authentic of a brand and consistent uh, around our message that over a period of time, I feel like people are just, oh yeah, the, you know, they, they do what they say they do, which is what we want to be known for. And they would uh, bend over backwards to make things happen, to do it right, if, if they ever make a mistake. And that's all it is. I, I truly believe that the future companies, uh, brand is going to drive demand and not just pay-per-click and all those things. Your brand and the authenticity of your brand and your ability to communicate and how you communicate consistently over a period of time is what's going to, I think, determine where your destination is. And so for us, we are still learning, we're still growing, and we're still figuring out and still first-time founders. So none of this is like a playbook <laughs> for us. So we're just eager and excited to learn, eat it all up, and do mistakes, make mistakes, and, and figure out where we go. But I feel like in our hearts, we are very clear about the problem and we're just in love with that problem yeah what were some of the you because you were you mentioned you were the head of marketing for pardot so what what were some of the key takeaways from that job that have helped you so far in founding your own company well so pardot was incredible blessing in many 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 ways because it literally, I joined Pardot at the exact target acquisition point, and then six months later, we got acquired by Salesforce. So in many ways, I actually worked at Salesforce running the business of Pardot Marketing, right. and we just kept getting money to like, hey, how much do you want to spend? Do more things. <laughs> and I remember this very clearly. Like the first six months, they said, hey, here's more money than the last year that you guys spent, and you know, go do make things happen. I'm like, great, and think 10x. And I'm like, yeah, I can think 10x when I was exact target. Uh, acquired Pardot. And then six months later, when, when Salesforce acquired Exact Target for, for $2.5 billion, the same people came back, hey, here's more money. And now Salesforce has acquired you. So, so are you still thinking big? I'm like, yeah, we're thinking big. We're thinking 10x. I'm like, no, no, no. They said, you need to start thinking 100x. And I was like, wait a minute, how do you, how do you actually do that, right? <laughs> I think what they were helping me understand or probably recognize is that these brands, these iconic companies like Salesforce and Apple's of the world, they project a sense of scale and ability to think big. It's, it's a completely different level. Their connection with the understanding of the problem, the community, the state and a point of view is pretty much what drives them. And they are driven fully by this idea that they are going to do whatever it takes to continue to climb and have a very, very clear point of view. So for me, that's what I learned from Mark Benioff, just seeing him behind the scenes uh, of running Salesforce, Dreamforce and all that stuff. They just have a very clear point of view and they educate the analyst. I always thought that the analyst told companies what to do. I learned that at Salesforce that no, Salesforce actually teaches analysts and that's what analysts then regurgitates to them and they put it on the magic water and all that <laughs> stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we've applied the same formula in some way. Analysts didn't look at ABM as a category. Analysts didn't even think ABM was going to come. They were talking about AI and all that kind of stuff. And as we emerged, we had to, through flip my phone and other, bring them in, educate them, and now they are putting categories on it. So I think there are so fundamentally big things where we are at the mercy of analysts in many companies who are listening, marketing and sales, they're probably spending a ton of money and giving people analysts money to tell them what to do and use their, we, we forget that analysts 
really don't know shit. They only know what the leading category leaders are helping them recognize through their customers and point of view. So having a point of view is extremely important. Do you, you feel like you have that clear point of view now with Terminus or is it still kind of developing? So uh, this is video. So I'll show you. So I just got this shoe. <laughs> and I don't know if you could read it. <laughs> yeah, it's B2B. So it says ABM is B2B. ABM is B2B. <laughs> That's our point of view. We feel like, hey, look, you know, maybe you're still thinking ABM is a thing or not. Maybe you still haven't bought into it. We have gone to an extent where we recognize now that ABM is actually the way B2B should be across demand generation, pipeline velocity, expansion. It is an account-centric way of go-to-market strategy. So that's our point of view. As simple as one statement. I think the key takeaway there is that somehow, Sangram, you managed to get a shoe deal. <laughs> like, um, think LeBron James, Kobe Bryant kind of a shoe deal. So uh, how did you pull that off? It, what, is it Nike, Adidas? Who, who contacted you about the shoe deal? Uh, no, seriously, I went to <laughs> customkicks.com and I had them write this on them. <laughs> literally it's his, this morning, and I'm like, boom, this is awesome. It's his own shield. <laughs> That's funny. I love that. I need to get me some of those. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's really cool. And I had no idea we'll be showing a shoe on, a, on this thing, but here it is. You're the first one to actually see it outside of the company. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. What talking about Pardot and our Salesforce, I guess is probably a better way of talking about it. What were some of the hard things? Some of the things that you went through that were really tough working with a huge company like that? Yeah, man. So many. I think one uh, for me personally, I think we sometimes actually I, I definitely feel I undervalued the importance of product marketing. So as much as we talked about community building and brand building, which is a much bigger narrative, Salesforce, their whole business is run by product marketing teams. And every cloud, the marketing cloud, the sales cloud, they actually have their own product marketing teams who run everything. Essentially, it taught me, oh my goodness, positioning is so important in the marketplace. And if you don't position yourself somewhere, which is what the product marketing does more so than anybody, you will be positioned by somebody else. And it's a game changer. So for example, we initially at Terminus started with ads. And mm -hmm. I remember in G2 Crowd and some of the other things, they said, oh, great, uh, Terminus is now an ads platform. And we fought tooth and nail to say, no, 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 no. You're not putting us in that box of advertising. We are ABM platform. This is our vision. We're not we, here's where we are today, but that's not where we want to stay. We don't want to be an agency. That's not the point here. We are a SaaS platform. Here is our roadmap. Here's what we want to build. And it took us six months to convince them to create that, that another bucket, and we were in the right bucket. But I learned a lot at Salesforce, and I think the mistakes I feel a lot of companies have, have made in the, in the process that I've seen is that they don't position themselves well enough and they're at the mercy of other people positioning it, don't give them that chance. I think that's big. The other part I feel I personally learned is that I'm not a really good remote manager. Uh, I learned that. <laughs> and when we got acquired by Parra, like I have the team in San Francisco, some yeah. of them in Atlanta. Oh, like, it's so hard. You have to be so intentional around this. Mm -hmm. You have to spend, make the time to get the time, and you can't just assume things. 
Um, there's so much lost in transition. So that I learned a lot. I lost a few people because of that. So up here at Terminus, every meeting that is not, if people are not in the room, we're going to Zoom, right? That's kind mm-hmm. of the rule. Everybody has to be on Zoom. You have to be engaged. You don't, you can't take your video off. You need to be like, unless it's like 5 a.m. in the morning and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but like, keep your video, be engaged in the conversation, have that face-to-face interaction just because you're in different day. So I learned a few things that, that were really pivotal for us to do. Let's let's take a step back because I, I am still interested about why you went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, <laughs> right out of the gate. Because you went there to get your master's right, but why why did you pick the University of Alabama when you could have gone somewhere more uh, what you were expecting? Oh, I mean, honestly, I had no idea. And <laughs> when you do the GRE exam for your master's, it gives you four options to pick from that will apply free to that university. They will literally send you a score directly to that university for free. One of them was University of Alabama. And I just clicked that radio button and I said, go. I, I had no other bigger, <laughs> I wish I was like smarter about it. I said, oh my goodness, let me tell you the process I went to figure out which university. No, I was in India, like in a small village kind yeah. of city. And to me, just going to an American university was big enough in and itself. So to me, all universities were the same looking from outside in. So I wish there was a smarter answer than that, but I just clicked a button and I'm here. <laughs> do, you, do you remember any of the other options that were on that list? I think there was uh, Missouri, Alabama, none of the big cities. So I mm. didn't even know all the other cities. I think I heard about Alabama from the, the movie um, a <laughs> long time ago, but that's, also, that's why I think Alabama was the most familiar one. I also was working on some research work and stuff. And there were some connections, but it wasn't deep enough for me to make it informed. And the cost of applying a physical mailer to send was like, I couldn't afford to send physical applications across from India to mm. the States. So I'm like, I'm going to pick one and I'm going to go for it. Yeah, that, I mean, that must have been a really nerve wracking situation. It must have been really tough to just say like, all right, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go get my master's in this place. I don't know. And then uh, the rest is going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. It must have been an interesting time to say the least. Yeah, it, it, it is a character building moment, uh, yeah. you know, or time in our life, right? When we do take a leap of faith and we do whatever it is that we have to do at that moment. And it teaches so much about ourselves, like, I, I, you know, getting a job as soon as I didn't, I mean, I couldn't speak English. Uh, even now I stumble all over the place. My, my written English is incredibly hard. I use Grammarly so that it actually can sound like came from a person. <laughs> we um, all do that. Don't worry. That's that's not exclusive to immigrants or anything. Yeah, we, all, we all do but, Grammarly. <laughs> right. So it's like, so there's so many things that, that I feel like it, it taught me. In many ways, it humbles you, right? It helps you recognize that you're not above all and you are fallible. You can make mistakes and it pushes you because it's in a different environment, because you're not among the same people you see every day. Now you have to somehow prove yourself. In some ways, I like that. I think we all need to go through those kind of moments in life because it it allows you to grow. When you were in India, did you have a marketing background? Did oh, you no. know that you, did, you didn't know that this was what you were going to end up doing with your life, did you? No, even my master's is in uh, computer science. So, so marketing is, I don't have a marketing bone. I still don't think I do marketing. Like, I think people tell me I do marketing, but I don't think I do marketing because I think what I love to do is, is really the idea of like story building and understanding the problem and, and breaking it down because I have a very simple, uh, like, I can't 
process complicated stuff uh, mm. or maybe I process it, but I, I want to simplify it to a point where I can talk to a five-year-old, like my son, like whatever, right? So I, I always have like pulled it together to a point where I just, let's simplify it. Let's just make it so simple that there's no confusion in it. And that's the process I like. And I think there was a, a podcast I listened to recently where they talked about the fact that when you complicate stuff, even when you're presenting a slide and you the reason you don't want to have too many bullets on a slide, it's not because the slide looks crap. It's because you are burning the calories in people's head to process things because they are in like you like it or not, you want it or not, they're going to process it. And when you put too much, you burn their calories, the mind kind of shuts down a little bit. And now you're in a process where you are kind of pulling them out of it. And that's why you think about Steve Jobs and their presentations. He had a 1850 font, like one word or three words or five. It wasn't because it's like the only way. It's because it's he's not letting people's calories burn on useless stuff. He's trying to make sure that he has their attention captured and he for the moment that he wants waiting for them to see an iPhone or iPad. So all that to say, I think there's a whole thing is like the simple we are, the simple we make it for our customers, our future customers, our partners, the people we live with, hang out with, the better it is for them and for you as a business person. So I feel like that's what I like to do every single day. Yeah, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, right? I absolutely agree with you. I think the simpler that you can make something, the smarter it is, the smarter you are. I think that's genuine. Like for any career, especially in marketing, that's what separates the good from the great is if you can actually make it simple and make it work, yeah. that sets you apart as as great for sure. Well, I mean, if you, even if you think about flip my funnel, right? I mean, what is that? Like, I mean, it is like <laughs> this traditional funnel existed forever. I just drew a inverted funnel and bought a domain for eight bucks called flip my funnel. And now we have a 10,000 people community for flipping funnels, right? It's no different than just flipping the, the, the same thing that was in marketing and sales. And now it's, it's a new thing. So to your point, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we all need to do our part to push the boundaries a little bit and make it even more cluster clear or, or simple. Yeah. One thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is for social media, thought leadership, whatever you're trying to, if you're trying to build a brand, try to build a business, a lot, most people will just say, all right, let's look at the 10 companies that are absolutely crushing it and let's emulate them and try to take the lessons from what they're doing well. And we're going to do that same thing and we're going to do it better. And what people really should be doing, in my opinion, is looking at those 10 people that are doing the best and then saying, how can I go in the complete opposite direction while still staying in the general, like still staying on the path in topic, but how can I be completely different? Because yeah. if, if 10 people are already succeeding, why do they need an 11th? Whereas if you can still be a solution to a problem, but you're completely different, then what do you have to lose? You're basically just setting yourself, stand, letting yourself stand out yeah. against, against the competition. Totally. Uh, there is a book written by uh, Sun Yu called his Iconic Advantage. And his tagline for that book is, I think, don't chase the new, reinvent the old. Don't chase the new, reinvent the old. And to your exact point is that, okay, maybe we don't need to just try another new thing necessarily, but maybe we need to just do reinvent it in many ways, the same thing. And his whole thesis, his great book, actually, I think he launched a couple of years ago, 
and his whole thesis around like, hey, look at every single successful brand company, all they're really doing, there's no new idea in many of those things. Many of those are literally reinventing the old. They're just calling it something different. They're just flipped the business model and now it works. Uh, maybe you went from freemium model to paid model. You just flipped that. You went from a cloud computer, a on-premise to cloud. You just flipped that. You're just reinventing business models all day long. And that could create a incredibly amazing business for you and, and profitable. So it, there's something to it. Yeah, for sure. I want to ask you one question that I've come across several times. It's going to be more of a, like, I, <laughs> I don't want to sound antagonistic about this. Like I'm not, I'm not against ABM, but I just want for the interest of the people. Some people have said that ABM, like true account based marketing does not actually exist. Mm. Some people say that it's not possible. So what would be your argument to that? Like, what would you tell a person that says that to you? They're right. They're not wrong. It doesn't exist. And I think we have four ways to go from it, which is why like ABM is B2B. It's, it's a rallying cry. It doesn't fully exist in companies today. I think it would be wrong for us to say that, hey, drop your inbound and just be ABM all day long mm. without understanding the whole business picture of it. In many cases, it's actually good to have inbound engine running at the same time doing ABM. What I would say to them is that there is a segment of your business that 100% is probably good for ABM, that you're not doing ABM on. For example, if your deal size is over $100,000, if your sales cycle is over six to nine months, if the number of decision makers in the process is about six, seven, eight, nine people, you are doing ABM in some way, shape, or form. You may not be just calling it. You have to. There's no other option around that. Your salesperson is already talking to five people to make help make them decisions. So there's no, in a way, doing. That's why their title is account executive. It is not a lead executive. There's a whole thesis around that. So is it in the purest sense, are organizations all account-based or can today? No, not even us at Termis. We try to practice our own stuff and, and we're not fully account-based. But that is the promise of where we are trying to take ourselves and everybody on a journey is that in a five years from now, we wouldn't even be saying ABM. We would be saying B2B. This is how marketing should be. We should be going after the right people. Why wouldn't we? Uh, we should be engaging them on the things that matter. Why wouldn't we? Mm -hmm. So if it makes logical sense, but we're not there, it's just the gap that we have to fill and only time and process will do that. But I actually I agree thousand percent. There is no hundred percent ABM organization today. I appreciate the transparency because uh, that's one of the values that you talked about earlier. Just yeah, <laughs> living yeah. your own values. Straight <laughs> up, like, and neither are we. Like, we are not perfect. Uh, we have an inbound team here as well as ABM team. So we're doing mm -hmm. trying to figure out both. And sometimes ABM ones, sometimes inbound ones. But the bigger the deals, the bigger the stakes, the bigger the number of people involved in the decision making process the more we see the value of doing uh, focused ABM. Hmm. All right. I've got some unique, different questions. They're going to be more uh, more about your character, I guess, than about actual tactics or anything. But I want you to try to answer them as quickly as you possibly can. All right. So just a, you know one or two sentences if you can. Yeah. All right. This is the rapid fire round. All Let's right. see how we get. Okay. We'll start out with this one. When you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? My wife. Why? She's at peace with what she has in life. She is happy. She loves what she's doing. And I think I want to be like her. 
what is something that you believe that other people might think is insane? So uh, a belief that you have that other people might think that's crazy. Something that, uh, that can be done every single day, right? Like, uh, the whole, whole idea of marketing changing, ABM changing, it's like things change and we need to be open to it. So every single time somebody says no, I think it's the greatest opportunity. That means it's never been done before. Time to go do it. So I, like not one specific thing. I think I just look for people who say no, because that to me is an opportunity that nobody has exploited. What is a common misconception about you? I'm always happy. It's a common misconception. <laughs> I am <laughs> and I am rough. Uh, when the right time comes, but a lot of people think, man, he's always happy and smiling. So, you know, everything's always good in his life. And every, no, no, if you ask people very close to me and they would not, they will tell you like, man, he's emotional. He's kind of crazy and he's kind of rough. Uh, but he also <laughs> <lot of> smiles. <laughs> I can kind of relate to that. A lot of people think that too about me. <laughs> what is your deepest regret so far in your life? Ooh, uh, haven't tried to do what I'm doing right now as like I was always afraid to fail mm. all my life, afraid to speak up, afraid to do anything different than others. And I feel in the last four years, as a result of this, just doing being jumping in this entrepreneurship, it forced me to be very uncomfortable with everything. I wasn't a speaker. I'm not a writer of a book. I ended up writing a book. Like all the things, the conference, the community, all the things we're doing are so different than what you would ask anybody who knew me four years ago. They would never say <laughs> that's Sangram. But I yeah. feel like because I was pushed in all these situations, I think I came out of my own skin to do something different. I'm no longer afraid. I actually, I forced my team to think about when was the last time we failed? What campaign did we run that failed? I want to know if you don't have anything like that, we haven't pushed enough. You're not doing enough. You're not testing enough. Are, are you naturally extroverted or is that something you had to learn how to be more outgoing? I think I'm naturally extrovert, but I, I'm not a small talk extrovert. Like I can't do small talk. Like I want to have a deep cut conversation with people like most introverts would want to. So, but, so I'm an extrovert. I love to say hi, hello, but I'm not like, like, two minutes, like, hi, hello, how are you doing? I mean, it doesn't help me. I don't get energy from that. I want to know the person I'm talking to. Are, are you more of a, are you a high five guy? Or are you a handshaker? Or are you a hugger? Hugger. You're a hugger. Person. Yes. I can All see that. Anywhere you've got, like, I hug like <laughs> 10 people every day, at least, if not. And then the whole company is a hugger right now. So it's great. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, people would, I mean, I ask them, hey, tell me, I'm going to hug by default. If you want to high five, I would not be offended if you just showed me your hand. I'll do it, but I'm a all-time hugger. <laughs> okay, this last question is very serious, so I need a, a very well-thought-out, deep answer from you. Okay. If if I were to say we're making a movie out of your life, first off, what genre would it be? Is it a drama, a comedy? Yeah, I think it would be like, so my favorite movie of all times is like Rocky, right? Like that's the thing I feel like is, is the underdog story mm. of always another dog you know kind of how the movie's gonna end but you you are always rooting for the underdog you know life is not always fair to you in every way possible but you still go with a blessed approach towards it so i think that's the kind of thing that i would always i want to have for me and uh who would play you in that role oh man that's a tough one I'm going to flip that over to you. Who do you think? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work that way? No, no, no. You have, oh. You're on the hook. You have to answer this question. 
well, I don't think that person can play it anymore. It's too old. But Robert De Niro. Robert um, De Niro. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he was he was in that movie, uh, The Intern. Oh yeah, The Intern. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's you know that that's kind of an underdog story. I can see it. That, I've seen that one. Oh, I remember his other movie, Analyze This, and and that yeah. that was one of the classic movies for sure. <laughs> So, okay, well, I guess there, here's the final follow-up to that. What was the first American movie that you watched when you came here? Oh, man. Or the first one you remember, at least. Well, I remember, obviously, those Seinfeld and like, all those episodes. So they kind of clouded my whole memory. And I, I, do, I do feel, wasn't Rocky, I watched Rocky way before. I don't know which one was the first American movie to, to watch. I think... I think the the episodes, the Seinfeld, and all those were so much in my brain that I don't even remember what I watched. Other than that, <laughs> that's good enough though. Because Seinfeld's like that's an all time show for me. Yeah. I love it. So you're you were steered in the right direction from the very start. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for my questions. But I, I do want to give you a chance to talk about what you're working on, what's important to you right now, any links that you want people to visit. And then also just a shout out to go listen also to the Flip My Funnel podcast. Don't just listen to this podcast right now. Go at, right after. Go subscribe to Sangram's podcast as well. Go listen to that. Yeah, you're too kind, man. Like, um, well, I mean, obviously you can check out Terminus.com uh, or FlipMyFunnel.com to, to join the community or check out the product and all that stuff. I'm working on my second book, which will come out in August. And guess what? The title of the book is ABM is B2B. Hey. <laughs> so that's like... Spoiler early, alert. Early talk. And I love posting and sharing and engaging on LinkedIn. So that will be the best place to connect. Yeah, he's a great follow on LinkedIn. Trust me. Thanks, man. All right, cool. Sangram, thank you very much for coming on the show. Everyone, again, go check out Terminus. Check out Flip My Funnel. It's all great. Sangram is a great guy. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Blake, you're awesome, man. Thanks everybody for listening. Hey there, it's Blake. There's no P2P interview this week because we're ramping up some great new ones to come soon, but I wanted to take this time to shout out some of the reviewers of the podcast and thank you all for your support so far. So for this week, I want to shout out one review and I'll be doing this from time to time. So please rate, review, subscribe, do anything that you possibly can to support the show, and we'll even probably shout you out on the end of the show. So this one goes out to Belieber101, who said, Yours in Marketing is a breath of fresh air. It's full of real-life advice for B2B marketers, and also it's entertaining to listen to as I'm driving. Thank you, Belieber. Love the name. Love the review. Thank you so much. And for all of you that haven't yet left a review, please do. It helps the show reach more people that need to hear it, and it allows us to keep producing quality episodes for you. And that's it for today's episode. Again, if you're a first-time listener or you've been at it since the beginning, please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Wherever you get your podcasts, we've got you covered anywhere you want. 